Hello, fellow planeswalkers, and welcome into the Eve Vortex. My name's Ninjabor, your guide into all the different ways you can enjoy Magic the Gathering, and how they all come together into something wild, wacky, and a little bit magical. Hope everyone's doing well out there. I'm personally still glowing in the aftermath of MagicCon Philadelphia, which was just about a week ago at this point. It was such a fun experience that, of course, I had to dedicate this entire episode to basically being a recap of what my experience at the convention was like. Hopefully, if you weren't able to make it out to the convention, uh, this gives you a sense of what it was like to be there. Um, and hey, you know, hopefully I can catch you at the future one. Also, in case you're one of the many players I listened to uh, and uh, I played with and who gave me your email so that I could send you this episode of my podcast that no one else listens to, uh, or you somehow stumble upon this while looking up MC Philly recaps, uh, welcome to the show and thanks for tuning in. So first, some background. Uh, I had originally planned on going on Magic 30 at Vegas, uh, I believe last year with friends uh, when that was first announced. Though for various reasons, we all ended up deciding to pass on the event, um, which in hindsight seems to have been a good call due to, uh, according to social media, all of the various logistical issues around that event, such as lack of play space and all that. Uh, the follow-up event was originally going to be in South Carolina, but looking for expanded space to, you know, counteract the complaints from Vegas, Wizards ended up bringing the event to Philadelphia uh, at the convention center. Now, being only about an hour and a half away from it by Amtrak, living here in New York, and also being very familiar with Philadelphia since I went to college there, it was a bit of a no-brainer for me to sign up uh, for the tickets the first day they went on sale. Now, I do have a local group of friends here uh, who had also gone to school in Philly with me, so they were all strongly considering coming as well, but uh, in the end, they actually decided to attend a concert in New York instead that President's Day weekend, so I ended up going solo, which was fine by me. I ended up getting two single-day passes for Saturday and Sunday, along with the Command Zone add-on for each day. Uh, I wasn't entirely sure if I would be able to take the day off from work on Friday or not at the time, which I ultimately did end up doing so. Um, and you know, it But in the end, it would have also been one less day away from the wife and uh, also one less day to pay for housing, so that was all fine by me. So my Amtrak from Philadelphia pulled uh, from New York pulled into Philadelphia about 6:30 p.m. or so, and I got a taxi to my Airbnb, which was literally like 30 seconds away from the convention center by walking on the edge of Chinatown. Uh, so super convenient. Um, in fact, it was actually right across the uh, the street from an old Malaysian BYOB restaurant that was super popular back in college called Banana Leaf. Um, anyway, I ended up checking into my Airbnb around 6:30 or so. Um, you know, called my called my wife and, and parents and then you know grabbed a quick dinner at a nearby Panda Express uh, before going to the AMC nearby to watch the MCU film Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Um, it was you know kind of cool uh, on the way to the movie theater and to, to Panda Express to uh, walk around and, and see a bunch of people you know wearing Magic the Gathering uh, merch or wearing the lanyards or having their binders in their arms so you could tell that the fellow planeswalkers were around. Anyway, after the movie, I ended up uh, turning in early uh, since I had some stuff to take care of in the morning. I wanted to be there right as the doors opened. So, you know, woke up early. Now, I had made a spreadsheet before I left, uh, you know, for the convention with all the prices of the cards that I had brought in my binders um, as well and, and also the cards that I was looking for so that, you know, when I was you know getting offers for, for the cards I was selling, you know, they wouldn't be too far off from market value. I could be an informed seller um, and also be an informed buyer. Um, unfortunately, you know, that day that I took off, you know, I was planning on trying to print it off at home, but uh, we ran out of ink, actually. So I had to try to find a place in Philly to print this um, so, you know, cross things off as I sold them or bought them. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, the only uh, FedEx that was uh, open at, you know, 8 in the morning was one in a hotel that was exclusively for hotel guests. So, womp womp. Uh, anyway, defeated in that regard, I ended up going to one of the main attractions of MagicCon Philadelphia for many, uh, the Reading Terminal Market. Um, I ended up stopping at a Filipino place in the corner called Tambayan, which I'd seen, you know, uh, last time I was visiting Philly, but hadn't eaten at before. That was kind of funny, actually, because apparently there was a gymnastics competition happening in the convention center as well that weekend. So on one side of the counter at Tambayan, there was a Filipino family from New Jersey, and then seated next to them was a Filipino Magic the Gathering player, which I could tell 
himself by his lanyard and his binder. Um, you know, and he ended up leaving, you know, because it was a crowded counter. Um, but I ended up taking his seat when he left and got myself a tosilo, tosino, which is like a Filipino um, cured meat, like bacon, um, a a sinigang, which is a fried rice, and an egg, itlog, so tosilog. Um, and also got a pineapple juice as well as pandesal, which is, you know, a, a morning bun. Um, you know, really tasted great. And, you know, it was fun talking with the owner, Ma- Madam Kathy, um, as we Filipinos tend to do. So, you know, kind of bonding over our shared experience. Um, also, sort out. Sp- speaking of uh, the Filipinos, shout out to Martin Go, uh, my fellow Kababayan, who was representing the Philippines in the Pro Tour after he won the Southeast Asia Championship final to qualify, uh, which was actually his first ever Pioneer tournament. So good on him. Um, at the end of day one, actually, you know, go. So this was at the end of Friday. Um, he had gone 3-0 in the draft and then went 3-1-1 in Pioneer to be in the top eight at the end of the day uh, of day one with Azorius Control, the same deck he had won the regional championship with. Uh, unfortunately, after a going through 0-3 in draft on day two and then 1-3 in Pioneer, uh, he was out of the tournament, but still um, really glad to see Filipinos on the biggest stage of Magic. Uh, anyway, with my stomach full, I ended up going getting into the convention center. Now, first order of business, you know, uh, getting my con exclusive. So while, since I didn't get the weekend pass, I didn't get a playmat included uh, in my merch. So I ended up grabbing one of those um, as well as the Magicon Philadelphia pin. Um, I also got the con exclusive secret, uh, secret layer drop. Look at the kitties. Uh, one for myself, actually, and then three for my friends who chose to go to the concert instead since, you know, they still wanted the, the secret layer. So keep this fact that I got these in mind. So anyway, I came to the con with eight decks and two binders of cards. Um, I wanted to sell uh, mostly wares over $4, one with EDH staples also. Um, and, you know, so I decided to bring four decks per day in my backpack so that, you know, my bag wouldn't be so heavy carrying all of my decks around. Um, you know, I, I also bought my binders on day one so that I would be able to sell them and, and make them a little bit lighter. So I spent probably uh, two hours or so, you know, hopping between boots, trying to get offers from all of my cards. Um, I was able to offload around mm, call almost 600 dollars worth of cards um the most notable being my uh, talus of the void you know i think it was like uh on tcg player mid at the time i'd marked it down at 60 dollars was selling out the best offer i was able to get was for 45 um i also sold you know force of vigor a couple of anabolicers and so on tells you know most of them were below the market price but that's you know somewhat to be expected um you know i for cards that you know that ended up being too far below the market price like 50 percent below or or something like that um i ended up not trading those in just because you know i figured if i wanted to find some somebody to, uh, you know, trade card for card, I would get, be able to get these at full value as opposed to, you know, the, the markdown from the retailer. Still, by my estimate, you know, the, you know, a little bit less than $600 of cards I sold uh, were worth, you know, if I, if I'd been able to sell them at full value, probably like 650 or so. So honestly, not that bad if, I'll, if I do say so myself. Um, anyway, from there, I made my way to the command zone where I signed up for an on-demand event. Um, I got placed in the pod pretty quickly and we got set up. Um, I noticed actually I could not find my playmat at the time. We'll come back to that in a second, um, but first, the game. So for this first pod of Magicon Philadelphia, for me, uh, we had Luis uh, from Brazil by way of Florida. He was playing a mono blue Urza deck. Um, we had Cam from Virginia playing Progenitus Super Friends. He had kind of put together a suboptimal uh, mana base according to him. Um, and then we also had Nick from Pennsylvania also on Five Color Super Friends, but this one led by the Prismatic Bridge. So in our pre-game conversation, it seemed that people wanted to play a bit of a higher power game. You know, Cam wanted to test out his Progenitus Super Friends deck. Um, so, you know, I was choosing between my mono blue Jace Tribal Illusions deck, which is surprisingly resilient, um, and also my five color EDH Rex Staples decks, which, you know, I had theorized would be able to scale well with the table, right? You know, it's a lot of answers, a lot of um, a lot of interaction, maybe not a lot of threats per se, aside from the commander. So, you know, being able to scale up scale up to, you know, stuff that has to, stuff that needs to be answered, um, or, you know, being able to uh, be more scale, scaling down without too many threats, I think is easy for that deck. So, you know, it, it it's, it's more so, you know, it, it worked out. I wanted to see how that was. The other players were curious how it would play as well. So we went with that. Now, for a relatively high-level EDH rec game, I'd say, you know, this was probably uh, not 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 C EDH, but probably somewhere like in the 8 to 9 range if you if you were going by a 10, uh, an out of 10 power scale. Um, and, you know, you think it would end pretty quickly, but this actually ended up going a full two hours. Not that I mind. Again, it was super fun and interactive. Like, you know, I, like I said, most of my decks are tribal. This one is one of the most interactive decks I have, which was a ni- nice, uh, different experience to have. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you know, for example, on turn one, uh, Luis, the, the Urza player, 
dropped a winter orb. I was able to vandal blast it. Um, but he had a lot of other artifacts and ramp as well, which led to a cam, the progenitus player, being able to drop a dockside extortionist on turn four and be able to uh, power out his progenitus, uh, which definitely made him a, a, bit, a bit of the arch enemy real quickly. Uh, luckily, uh, Nick, uh, the prismatic witch player, had a board wipe on hand to keep us alive. Um, you know, at some point though, he started building up a pretty scary board state. You know, smothering tide and doubling season and some other you know uh, utility creatures as well. Um, but before he could start, the probably like the turn before he could start dropping planeswalkers. Um, you know, Luis the Urza player was able to uh, cyclonic rift everything away. Um, so you know, set him up, but also you know kept kept um, Nick from going popping off. Um, from that, he was actually able to get to infinite mana. Um, the Urza player Luis um, with a whole breaker horror combo. You know, bouncing basalt monolith and uh, and um, and mana crypt, you know, over and over again. Um, though fortunately for us, he actually ended up not really having an outlet for it um, and wasn't able to actually channel that into anything. But still, very scary, especially, you know, Holebreaker Horror. Um, you know, he had a little bit of mana up, but then, you know, uh, we were able to, you know, get him to use enough of his answers and counter spells and so on to, to deal with our, an to our, our answers for his Holebreaker Horror before I was able to use my suite of horror uh, once he had tapped out uh, to, to, you know, essentially remove that, that recursion engine. Um, now, you know, because, you know, because, you know, uh, he had been kind of set back, you know, with, uh, with his pretenders being knocked out and then the other players starting to build up a state, um, you know, Cam was able to start to get his, uh, get his, uh, progenitus out again, eventually up to 12, he was able to get up to 12 mana again, um, helped by, uh, casting the same brainstorm, like four different times over the course of the game, um, be it, you know, tar target casting spells from his graveyard and so on. Um, so he was able to get the, the progenitus out again. And unfortunately we didn't really have a board wipe for it. But for me, I was luckily able to, you know, I was able to get a Mirari's Wake out, and then I also had my own Smothering Tithe to generate a bunch of treasure um, over the course of a couple turns. I was able to get Nadzila out, even though she got removed a couple times or bounced back to hand. And then I was able to swing and activate her ability to get multiple combat steps, um, you know, uh, essentially doubling the number of warrior tokens I had on the field, um, and who were at this point tutus um, to, you know, start swinging in, take out, you know, take out the Urza player, take out the Prismatic Bridge player, and, you know, have something like 40 plus um, or like something like 40 uh, warriors, you know, 2-2, two, two, life link, double strike, trample. So you're sorry, you could block one of them, but the rest were able to take him out. So I ended up actually having a victory for my first run uh, with EDH Rex Staple. So, you know, glad to see that, um, you know, that, that come out. But like I said, none of the players were salty. We all were able to, you know, have a have a good time, right? So definitely, definitely have a really interactive game where everyone was able to do their thing. So um, super, super great first uh, game experience for, for Mazicon Philadelphia for me there. Anyway, let's go back to my missing playmat. So when we got to the con, uh, we had gotten these black bags with some draft boosters and the like in lanyards. And if you had if you had gotten the playmat included, it would have been in there. Um, when I got my con exclusive merge, I placed my stuff in this black bag as well as the four secret layers. Um, and I guess when I went to the dealers to get my cards sold, um, I had left it under my chair or under my feet um, at one of those tables, unfortunately. So, you know, I was playing this EDH game that for two hours, basically, just praying to Urza that, you know... Uh, I would I, the, the, that no one had kind of you know stolen or taken the um, the the secret Leos again. I mean you know it definitely would have been a loss, but um, you know hopefully if there was some miracle, uh, if they weren't taken, I would have been that would have been you know made made a great uh, save the weekend. Um, and thank goodness you know there was there was some sort of luck. Um, it was actually at the first booth I had had sat down at Star City Games. Um, I guess the the table like the bag had gotten kicked under the table when I was uh, when I was selling my card, so it was under kind of like the curtain that they had. Um, you know, with their branding on it. So no one had actually come by after merge and taken it somehow for two hours. So crisis averted, you know, I was able to validate, you know, tell the um, members that, hey, yeah, there's, there's a there's a playmat play in here and four secret layers and so on. So um, crisis averted, though, I did very quickly relocate all of those secret layers to my backpack. So I just had fewer things to carry around and keep and keep on keep on top of mind. Uh, so yeah, so you know, this was around you know um, probably I got in at, at ten right, and then I had ended up having a I, looking around for two hours or so at, at boots, and then um, this two hour game. So just about a little bit you know maybe a little bit after two when I ended up uh, you know finishing finishing my hunt for my play mat. Um, you know I could have gone to Reading Terminal Market probably to get some food, but I actually had a uh, event signed up. I signed up for the magic the mystery booster convention sealed event at three p.m. down in the tournament area. Um, I had been lucky enough, actually, uh, to play Mystery Booster back in GP New Jersey, back before the pandemic. Um, and, yeah, 
it was really fun and, and great value actually um, to, to jam those. So that was my plan to, you know, those are the two events I had for the weekend. Um, also, you know, there was a online Magic the Gathering playing community uh, called uh, Cardboard Community that I'm part of. Um, former co-worker included me in it. Um, and there was a member from actually that con- that that online group named Odie um, who was at the event. So it was kind of cool actually to meet up in person and put a name uh, to his face. It actually learned his real name, but he prefers going by Odie more often than not. So um, I'll just keep referring him to that. Um, anyway, yeah, so we was able to meet up with Odie, um, had a great time. He was kind of just chatting and about the decks he was planning on viewing. I think he said um, he had come to the con and was uh, working on a, um, a a deck that basically made a bunch of bi- of goblin tokens and then turning them into bear with House and Emperor Archdruid, I believe, and a red background um, from Commander's Legend Baldur's Gate. So, you know, lo- definitely looking to get some webcam games with him once he finishes that deck. Anyway, we went to our um, to our uh, our event at 3 p.m. Uh, and we got our pool right. So I ended up going a uh, green black ramp mostly with a splash of red, a little bit light on creatures, maybe like 11, 12 creatures or so. Um, the main cards really that got me into these colors were uh, Liliana's Death Majesty, um, as well as an Eldest Reborn, um, and I also had some ramp support from you know Fertile Ground, sort of the Animist, and then I was splashing a little bit of red for a Chaos Warp, a Crown Hunter Hireling, and then also a Fireball. Um, the only playtest card I included in my deck was Plain Merge Elf, um, which was kind of nuts in this deck. You know, it basically is, um, it had, I think, um, uh, Land Sip um, as one of the abilities. Again, this is a playtest card. So basically, you can reveal a top card of your library each turn. Um, if there is a land on top, you make a 1 1 elf creature token, um, elf warrior creature token, and then um, it has um, Kin Fall. Um, so, you know, play, uh, play on on, on, um, on Kin Sip and Landfall, but Kin but kin Fall is when the creature with the same creature type enters the battlefield. Um, my board would get plus one, plus one. So, you know, you, put, you get a land off the top, you basically make a. Um, you make a you make a L four your tokens it pumps the board right um, so you know pretty pretty interesting I was able to somewhat make up for my lack of creatures I also did have a Jund ultimatum in my pool but unfortunately the strict you know color requirements you know getting up to three red mana was pretty strict I ended up not including it in the deck just because it's, you know I had some fixing but not a terrible lot of it. Um, anyway, so for my first match, um, I ended up going up one and two against a band player. Um, you know, his name was Merrick. He had a Flyers deck, basically. So kind of, you know, went over what few creatures I had and bouncing, you know, bouncing stuff back to my hand. So um, I think the big thing he had was one of the there was a life linking three four rocks. Um, you know, the Rhino in the set, which you know I just could not deal with. I think the one game I won, um, I was somehow able to gain control of it. I forget by which means. Oh, I was able to get gain control of it through the Eldest Reborn when it ended up some... I was able to kill it and then um, reanimating it with Eldest Reborn, but you know, that was the only game I was actually able to win. Um, Matt's 2 was pretty close, actually, with another player. Um, so his name was Nami. He was on Gruel, and he had his own Planeswalker in the ready. We had 1-1 one one each in the first two mats, right? So, you know, I was able to um, actually use Liliana to reanimate the Plane Merge Elf for one game, um, which basically made it a zombie, so that when Whenever Liliana activated her plus ability to make a zombie, um, it would trigger uh, it would pl- trigger Kinfall um, basically. So that was a and I was going wide with zombies anyway. So that was you know easy overwhelming there. Um, the other deck game he won, um, he had the Doretti and a Juggernaut actually the old G five three must attack. Um, but he was you know because I wasn't able to get enough creatures and pressure his uh, Doretti enough. Um, and partly I probably should have I probably let it go unattacked a couple of times that I probably shouldn't have. Um, but but, you know, it's like, I didn't think he had that many artifacts from what I had seen. So then when he dropped this Juggernaut, it's like, oh, crap. Even if I were to block it and, and destroy it, um, it would just end up coming back every time and, and very quickly overwhelmed me. So, yeah, that was the first two games. Um, you know, in the end, I was able to emerge victorious in game three um, when I was able, when we both had our Planeswalkers out. But, you know, I was able to make better use of mine in the end. So uh, went two and one here. Um, and then finally, in the third match, I went against a player named Sydney who was on also on Black Green Big Stuff, though. Unfortunately, I... I was able to use the various removal I had in hand to keep his board closed, so I didn't see too much of what he was doing, and I went 2-0. Um, that said, you know, I did end up, you know, uh, you know, we were able, we were given um, price tickets. It was like twelve hundred for the winner, um, and then uh, two hundred for the for the loser for each match. Um, I ended up giving him an extra, I think, like one or two hundred um, price tickets that I had gotten from the um, from the first uh, ED8 from the ED8 game that I had played, um, just to help him, you know, because he he said he was only there for one day, and you know, he he was just me a little bit sort of getting to the play mat that he was hoping to get. So I ended up giving it out to him because hey, I know that's like to want to get the play mat to remember your uh, visiting the events you go to. 
So I think, you know, thinking about Mystery Booster overall, you know, I think it was fun for sure. Um, I think, though, when I played it the first time at ZP New Jersey, I got a little bit more value out of it uh, when it was draft. Um, you know, the structure of each pack having two of each color, um, plus a colorless card, plus a plus a multicolored card, plus the rare and the playtest card, means it was easier somewhat to read signals in the draft, right? You can see, oh, this pack is definitely stripped of these specific colors, so a little bit easier to figure out your seat. Um, also, right, like, you know, you're, if, in, if you're trying to do weird, crazy things or, or draft for value, it's a little bit easier to do so in draft, uh, per se. You know, you could see, oh, you know, there's like, there are these uh, playtest cards and you could get more than six playtest cards in the deck versus myself, you know, I only really played one that matched the colors that I wanted to do, right? Um, you know, it also I would say the event was, and, and the fact that also the, the the other downside is that the fact that there are two of each color does make it so that you know you you can't accidentally go deep in a specific color, um, and it and the rares and it's because it was not like one specific rare spot per se. Um, you could have rares in multiple colors. It was kind of hard to really decide what to build around to some degree, and you know there wasn't a ton of consistent fixing you can get. Right, you had to kind of get lucky with whatever mana artifacts or or green green fixing you had um, to go you know a little bit more than like maybe two and a half colors or three colors. So decks felt just a little bit clunkier. Um, the other thing, you know, I think is the fact that these were a three to four hour event no matter what. Um, so it was a little bit of a drag, especially if you were able to finish your games early or you felt that your deck was kind of underperforming a little bit. Um, whereas when you, if you were to do an on-demand draft event, you would have been able to, you know, go single eliminates and either win and, you know, you're able to, you know, keep going with a great deck that's working or you lose and then you end up, you know, you drop from the event, but you're, hey, you're able to, you know, sign up for another event and get a little bit more of your day back. So if I were to do these in the future, I think I would opt uh, to do the draft as opposed to the sealed. Uh, anyway, after Mystery Booster, I ended up meeting up with some college friends for dinner. Um, one actually lived in town, but was actually at the convention center because their cousin uh, was participating in the gymnastics competition. Uh, there was another couple who were from out of town, um, you know, who were, who were in town doing some wedding prep, you know, checking out the venue, doing tasting menu and all that. Um, and then there was, all, and then you know, we had all been in the same co-ed service fraternity in college. Now they actually let me know there was another uh, brother of ours who was in who was living in town, and his wife was all. all and, and he and his wife were also free for dinner. So, you know, we all made plans to meet that, that night. Um, we initially planned on meeting up at a new revolving sushi place, um, conveyor belt sushi place called Kura Sushi um, in Center City. You know, maybe like a 10, 15-minute walk from the convention center. But when we got there, the wait was like three hours long, unfortunately. So um, we ended up walking a little bit further out, maybe like, I want to say, 20th Street or so. Um yeah, about 20th Street or so, um, to a tiny, tiny sushi joint called Vic Sushi. Um, it was pretty popular, actually, among uh, our classmates when we were in college, or maybe a little bit after I graduated college. Um, I, I saw a lot of pictures of people at Vic Sushi, but I had never gone myself, actually. Um, that said, you know, there were six of us, uh, and it was only 10 seats in the entire restaurant. So we ended up having to wait like half an hour or so to be able for it to get some space, but that worked. That was enough time for us to catch up. Um, so yeah, when we get there, the, I definitely recommend, uh, if, you're, if you're willing to wait, a little bit and get a little bit lucky with you know people being there or whatnot. Um, definitely go. They don't take reservations, but it was, the portions were generous and tasty. Um, and yeah, it was just good to catch up with friends, take a couple, you know, and, and to see where where everyone was in life. Uh, anyway, after dinner with my friends and, you know, a quick call with the wife, um, I ended up walking back to the convention center. Uh, and, you know, while the show floor, slow, show floor you know, with the uh, convent, with the with the boots and whatnot, as well as the um, as well as the on-demand events were, were closed for the night, um, the play area was still open for free play, basically. So, you know, um, I mean, I came here to play Magic. You know, I, I had been thinking of going to see another movie um, at like an art house theater in Philly, but, you know, I was here to play Magic. So why shouldn't I just play more Magic? Uh, my Airbnb being like a 30 second walk from the convention center definitely encouraged this decision. So I found the, so as I got back to the to the uh, command zone, I found a group of five friends who were also arriving in and you know I asked, hey, you know, are you guys looking for a player to fill out the pod? And they were all super enthusiastic about it. Um now, now rather than break into two pods of three, uh, we opted to play Emperor. And now for those who haven't played this variant, it's essentially, you know, if you play a six-person commander pod, it can tend to take a little bit longer than your typical four-person pod. So to alleviate that, you know, you for for Emperor you set up in uh, essentially it's like triple-headed giant you're three and three everyone has their own life total um, but you know the person sitting in the middle is the emperor now the emperor has a range range of two you know he can affect the person next to them or the person immediately in front of them but not the person in front of him uh, meanwhile the people on each side you know the lieutenants um, have the ability to 
target their oppo the emperor or the person in front of them. They can't target the opposite emperor or the pre or either player on the other side of the table. So the goal of this variant is to essentially eliminate the emperor, right? So you know if the but if you can't attack or influence the emperor directly, the way you do this is essentially by eliminating one of the side players, the lieutenants, by combat or whatever targeting and so on. And when they're done, um, now the 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 range of influence of the person uh, on the opposite team, who's the lieutenant, now is still one. They can impact the, the emperor directly as well as the other emperor. Um, though the other emperor can now also impact the other uh, emperor as well. So you know you want to eliminate one of the uh, lieutenants and then you know kill the emperor, right? Um, now, notably, what, in crucial for this for this game, uh, any effects that say all opponents uh, will still impact everyone. It's just that the only people who can actually uh, target uh, interact with that effect on the stack uh, can be people who actually can target it. So, if you're an emperor and you have a can target all opponents, uh, you'll still target everyone, but no one will be able to counter your effect. So keeping this in mind, we set up three versus three. I joined one team as the lieutenant. Um, so on my side, you know, the other lieutenant was a Miram Sentinel Warm player, um, and then I was playing my God Tribal deck uh, led by the Prismatic Bridge. You know, is a you know this is like a, a definitely not a super high power level table, probably a little bit lower, maybe like a, a seven seven or six or so, right? Um, if you were if you really go by numbers, but you know this is like a you know late night, let's just get some shenanigans in type of game. Um, so you know the logic of that, hey, no, the emperor can kind of interact with anyone either of the lieutenants led us to choosing the, the player to play a stacks master himself grand arbiter augustine the fourth um the lo logic being you know he can slow down the other players with counter spells and whatnot the commander's ability would impact all of the opponent's uh spells um and he would be able to support and protect us uh with counter spells and such um However, this didn't really quite work out the plan. Um, on the other side, against the Miriam, the Miriam player, uh, they had Kami's Obscure Oculus to you know do some sneaky, um, you know, saboteur type effects. Um, and then against me, we had a, 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 a precon is upgraded Nayali player, you know, the red white commander from um, from. Um, Firexion all will be one, um, who in typical Boris fashion would just go super fast and try to break my face. Um, however, their opponent, uh, crucially, was a Porphyros God of the Forge deck, um, who has the ability to ping each opponent for two when they made creatures enter the battlefield. So, yeah, we couldn't interact with him at all, um, and, and he you know, got a Cranko out and just made a lot of stuff and burned us out very quickly. Um, even though we got a relatively early Strixhaven Stadium out, you know, and so, hey, we'll just keep tapping this over 10 turns and you'll eventually... Uh, the team will just lose. Um, we got burned out very quickly before that ended up happening. So yeah, it was not a you know was not was not was not uh, the long game we were expecting it to happen. But hey, it was still fun all around. Um, so yeah, since that game ended relatively quickly, around 10 p.m. or so, we set, decided to say fuck it. We're just gonna head and go for a full six-player pod. So I forgot to list out which player with the name of each person who had which deck. Um, but I remember we were, we had a Croxa uh, discard player um, who then start went into me. Um, I was playing my OG Omnath, um, the Oga, Omnath Locus of Rage Hydro Tribal deck. Um, that went into a Jetmir, you know, tokens deck. That went into a Flumph uh, Group Hug deck. That went into a Soul of Wind Grace uh, Landfall player deck, who then uh, passed turn to an Orvar Clones deck. So, you know, this game definitely dragged on a little bit more, but it was still very fun and memorable, right? So, you know, highlights for me include, you know, the Flump player, you know, was giving out token, like giving out plus one, plus one counters or, or, um, or or, t or treasure tokens and, and uh, I forget what spell what card it was but you know whenever uh, an opponent lost uh, you know send the artifact to the graveyard they would end up getting putting plus 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 some counters on flump so hey, I was like hey give it to me I'll use it to make my hydras bigger and then the Croxa player was also asking like hey I'm in red black I need ramp give it to me I'll make sure they use it uh, so we were kind of fighting over his favor um, you know the Soul of Wind Grace deck was you know opposite side of the table for me so I couldn't see the board state too clearly but I do know you know there were definitely a couple of board wives and he had rebuilding super quick with Field of the Dead and all that. Very scary. Um, I ended up making, you know, I was really quick with my turns. I was just like, you know, here's a Hydra. I'm going to pump all my mana into it and pass the turn. Um, and then, uh, but the real piece of assistance, I think, was the Orvar player, uh, who ended up winning the game in the end. Um, so he had Orvar and Vesuvian Diplomacy. And so he made, like, you know, multiple copies of Orvar, um, which then led to him making multiple copies of Mind Flayer to steal basically the entire board. 
Uh, also made multiple Paragon Drakes, which basically let them have basically infinite mana. Uh, the only thing we were missing was essentially an Archaeomancer. Uh, he, was, he needed to get an Archaeomancer to essentially be able to loop a uh, Time Warp infinitely uh, from his graveyard, basically. Um, but yeah, it took a couple of terms for him to figure that out. But you know, everyone was kind of like, "Hey, could you do this? Could you do that?" Um, in the end, though, he was able to. We were able to finish out the game just as the hall closed at midnight. Um, we were even joking that, "Hey, you know, we'll just leave our our play state here as it stands. We'll come back first thing in the morning at ten in the morning and finish the game." Um, but yeah, we were able to finish the six player pod in two hours, which I think is like some sort of achievement there. So anyway, shout out to this friend group from New Jersey, be it North or South Jersey. Apparently, I learned that there was no such thing as Central Jersey. Um, but yeah, shout out to Jared, Matt, Adam, Leon, and Michael. Thank you very much for these late night games and the rockers good time we had. Hope the dominoes that you ended up ordering uh, back at your hotel was delicious. Um, anyway, with that, uh, I ended up I ended my my first day at the convention at my Airbnb and passed out. Um, now the I did mention I bring four deck brought four decks per day. Um, the only deck I ended, I bought at did not get played uh, was the aforementioned Jace Illusion deck, but given that in my personal local play group, I ended up actually playing that the most recently. I was all good with that. So yeah, uh, moving to day two, I got up early again and you know spent a little time. You know, I, I went to a Target. You know, I was trying to find uh, a Phil Philadelphia Eagles gear that, that was reasonably priced. Um, I was looking for them in the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, uh, did not work out there. Um, but yeah, I couldn't find anything. Unfortunately, so ended up going to Reading Terminal. Went back to Tambayan uh, for breakfast, and this time got the Long Silog or Longanisa sausage rice and egg dish. Um, again, cannot recommend it enough. Definitely go check them out if you're ever in the Philadelphia area. Um, but yeah, um, I ended up checking out of my Airbnb and then dropped off one of my bags at the coat check, which was uh, super convenient. Um, so first order of business, you know, I went straight to the command zone uh, on, on Sunday and when the doors opened and wanted to get a game in, right? I had four more decks I wanted to play and get as many games as I could in. Um, I ended up getting paired very quickly with a pod of uh, with Dan, Kevin, and Sal, um, and they all wanted another higher level game, right? Sal specifically had mentioned he was looking to try and farm tickets um, from something for the, from the prize wall. He had a, a, he wanted to try to get as many games in as he could, so he was playing a Narset deck, um, typical Narset infinite terms type stuff. Um, so he was either going to win very quickly or lose very quickly by being hated out. So we all pull out our higher power stuff. Um, Kevin um, brought out a Kirk deck, um, you know, typical, you know, uh, mono black good stuff, um, if I recall correctly. Um, and then we have Dan bringing out his Friends Forever partner deck with a bit of a twist. Um, he didn't tell us up front, but he did say it was a higher power, level power deck. Um, and then I went with my uh, green black elf ball deck. Um, so, you know, the Kirk player established himself fairly early on as a threat, you know, obviously playing the Phyrexian Mana to get his stuff out there early. Um, and, and for Sal, unfortunately, you know, he got Mana screwed, so we were saying, yeah, I mean, you're either gonna, you're, you're probably gonna end up getting what you want and getting the game over quickly. Um, I was able to get a couple of elves out, but, you know, then uh, then we had um, the Friends Forever deck, uh, you know, starting to pop off. You know, he was making a lot of clue tokens here and there incidentally. And it's like, oh, sir, I'll take a clue. I'll end up, you know, I'll end up drawing a little bit more to get more stuff. Um, turns out him making more clues uh, was all what he wanted. He, he It was essentially a cast Cascade deck um, with Glimpse of Tomorrow as the main Cascade target. So, you know, essentially uh, he had all these permanents on the battlefield. He would essentially shuffle them into the into, the, into his deck uh, and then poop out a ton of, a, a, a dozen or so high CMC threats um, off of the clues um, and, and his commanders. Um, so, yeah, that was a very quick game, very, very, over very quickly. So, um, you know, not in, uninteresting for sure. I've never seen Cascade build that way. I don't think anyone was really salty, but um, that was definitely uh, that was definitely a fun time um, and appreciating seeing that deck. So, you know, uh, after that game, I ended up going to the vendor hall to spend some of my hard-earned cash. Uh, my wife had said before I left I shouldn't spend more than $100 at the con or so. Um, but as I explained to her when I get back, look, you know, I, that was 100 net of the cash I brought in, right? Um, so I ended up spending, like, I want to say, uh, like, 550 of, like, the 575 600 that I ended up making selling my card. So really, I broke even or even made a little bit of a profit, right? So, yeah. Um, anyway, looking at the haul uh, of of stuff. Of I ended up getting getting I, I, of cards I ended up buying got um, an, an all will be one and awaken the woods for my uh, Omnath deck um, a couple of uh, full art staple promos uh, full art promos including like a mana league a terminate and wrath of god um, some staples to flush out my staples tribal deck like in like assassin's trophy and dam um, we got an Argothian 
Enfants from my Enchantment feature deck, um, two of the five Ancient Metal Dragons from um, Baldur's Gate Commander Legends for my uh, D&D alt art style uh, tribal deck. Um, you got the Teferi Protection from Mystical Archive Collection, um, three of the Japanese Mystical Archive uh, cards, including uh, Time Warp and Natural Order. Um, got a couple of retro frame cards, schematic versions, uh, Mind's Eye, Mox Amber. Um, we had a, a Borderless Wandering Emperor, um, a Slivdrazi Monstrosity from the from the test cards, and then you know some uh, Soke Secret Layers actually. Um, the Primetime um, that from Kaldheim, Adventures from Zendikar, uh, and Artifact Mutation, and then also two of the Dan Fraser Signets, and then the Psychedelic So, um, Nature's Lore, and Preordain, which I had uh, unfortunately missed out on, and I realized I kind of in hindsight wanted those. Um, the biggest thing, though, my, my biggest win of the convention, though, was I found... So there was this secret lair. It was a Hascon exclusive. Probably, I forget what year it was exactly, um, but it was by Ayako Isuguro, um, Junji Ito's wife, and it displays uh, a bunch of cats. You know, it has a chain lightning, an heirloom blade, a Kodama Switch, which is crazily expensive online. Um, no one had... I went around the first day just sewing the, the, the Hascon to um, secret lair to a def- bunch of different vendors. No one had it. Luckily, this one vendor I stumbled across had it in their display of cards they had so uh, ended up getting that for my cat tribal deck um, and and the generous gift um, on that from that set so really happy about that one definitely overpaid a little bit for it but you know I mean that's part of the fun of going to these conventions right Um, in hindsight I think there were a couple of cards that I saw um, in passing from different vendors that I forgot to go back and get but it worked out because I again I basically spent up all of my money and I I didn't want to spend more than the cards than what I sold basically so it all worked out in the end um, anyway, after uh, doing a little bit of shopping, I went back to the tournament area from the noon Mystery Booster Sealed event, and the, uh, this time, my pool pushed me into a red-white aggro deck. Um, I did lose out on some power not playing uh, Thrun, the last troll I opened, but honestly, I figured if people were going, like I mentioned, the three colors uh, because of the, of, the, of the lack of depth in any one pool in any one color, um, a two-color aggro deck would probably be the way forward. Um, the only playtest card here that I ended up playing was Start Fire, um, with a plethora of one, two, and three drops plus some combat tricks to push through damage so you know the first match though i ended up getting outdone by a mid-range player on salt uh salt time player uh, piloted by a player named john uh ended up going one and two there um match two uh it worked as expected though you know i went two and oh against a teamer player named thomas um i didn't honestly didn't see much of his deck just because i was able to overwhelm him so quickly but later he told me that you know he was playing animar in the deck and was hoping to see out some big stuff uh, and then round three, I played a player named Ram, who was also on mid range, a little bit more of a counter theme. Um, ended up going two and one in the end there, so uh, two and one for this event as well. Now, one of the pros of playing an aggro deck and finishing early each round was that I was able to actually tune in via Twitter uh, to the games uh, for Mar- the March of the between games and the March of the Machines uh, preview panel as it was going live upstairs. Now, you know, being the person that now I, this is a really fun experience because you know I ended up being the person who was able to tell everyone, "Oh my gosh, did you see that the Praetors are in the set in the DFC sagas, or that Heliod is now a completed card and it's now two colors, or that Omnath you know is now five colors, right? Um, that we're getting team up cards." like, you know, Thalia and, and the Kid Rock Monster, right? That was a thrill. You know, it, it's one thing at, on the, you know, endless endless spoiler season to be at home and, you know, tune in on, I guess now Tuesdays. It used to be with Thursdays, but now Tuesdays, um, the weekly MTG and see these new cards coming up and kind of reacting to them and sharing pictures on Discord and all that. But to do so in person with other Magic fans is a completely different experience. So um, definitely one of the highlights of the convention for me. Um, also, I will say, you know, the experience of playing aggro got me really thinking a lot about, you know, aggro in general and you know, a lot of people say oh i really like you know control and whatever and you know a lot of people now are saying that you know they all will be one draft format is very you know very fast very aggro um and they don't like it i don't know i really like the ag- i really find that i like the aggro playstyle just because it really condenses a lot of the um decision making and and whatnot to the first uh, couple of turns of the game sequencing is very important all that and i i want to figure out a way to get people to appreciate a little bit more so i'm actually thinking about inspired um i, I end up thinking about you know, in, since the convention, been thinking about putting together some sort of aggro cube. Need to flesh it out. Maybe that'll be an episode for an, a topic for another episode. Um, that's something that I'm really uh, looking to try to build out.
Uh, anyway, after my three games and also trading a couple of my hundred uh, prize ticks uh, for very most, various booster cards I didn't have yet, um, as well as also a schematic Ramos Dragon Engine, um, I went up to the command zone to try to get in another command game on the man event game. In unfortunately, they had ended at two p.m., so you know, they were over by the time I got there. Um, but I ended up did finding a more casual game with a couple with a couple of players. Um, two of them, I believe, were a couple in for the day only from Jersey, uh, Patrick and Christine. Patrick was playing Alela Artifacts while. Christine was on win and Siri cat dog and cat tokens. Uh, meanwhile, our fourth player, Marcus from South Carolina, was on a precon is Nayali deck. Um, and yeah, I mean that was a uh, you know I, Nayali was a very popular commander I noticed. So you know of the three decks I had left, uh, I had a straight up um, uh, Tyranid precon deck from Warhammer 40k, uh, my Ninja Tribal deck, um, and then my Sliver Roulette. Um, they were most interested in hearing about my Sliver Roulette deck, so I ended up randomly choosing uh, 59 slivers, adding it to the mana base selected Sliver Legion as my commander randomly, and off we went. So, you know, um, you know, we had Patrick, uh, sorry, uh, Marcus, um, the Nayali player, establishing himself very quickly as a threat, getting a lot of double striking tokens out quickly, chipping away at our life bases, especially against me with a relatively slower mana base. Um, the, uh, Christine, you know, Rin and Seri player made a lot of cute cat and dog tokens. Um, and then the Alela player, you know, Patrick made a lot of fairies as well, which, fun thing, he was using uh, Pokemon cards with Clefairy on them uh, for his tokens. Um, after those, some uh, disruption from the from from Patrick. Um, he was able to. Uh, I was able to actually sneak in a double kill. So you know, through the roulette, I had randomly gotten uh, essentially a Sado Sliver, which is a sliver that grants Sado to everything, meaning I couldn't block, but also couldn't be blocked, which is why how I was getting uh, beat down. Um, and I also got Brute Sliver, which you know gave me more slivers as my uh, slivers dealt combat damage to players. Which, uh, given that my all my slivers were unblockable, was very easy to do so. So once I I amassed the board of, you know, 1-1 one, one slivers or whatever. Uh, I dropped Sliver Legion as my commander, which made them grow very quickly out of nowhere. Something like nine slivers or something like that. Um, so, yeah, very big, very quickly. I was able to unblockably unblock sneak in a bunch of damage to both Christine, the Win and Seri player, and Pat and uh, Marcus, the uh, Nayali player. Um, I probably could have dealt with with with, with pa uh, um, Patrick, the Alela player, but um, I had made a deal with him to not attack him if he didn't counter uh, my commander. Um, so he was dead on board, obviously, with, with in the next turn, but he ended up he ended up put, trying to pull something off he had never done before. Um, so thanks to having a smothering tithe, he ended up dropping a Bolus of Citadel and an Aetherflux Re Reservoir. So um, uh, between that and having a Sensei's Divining Top on field, he was able to, you know, look at the top card, um, you know, cast it, or if it was a land, you know, put the draw it and put the uh, put the top the top on top of the deck, uh, and then uh, cast the top, and then just repeat that ad nauseum. Um, and essentially, he was able to you know gain life back up to fifty life, and then uh, lazily beat me to death from from the geek from the game. So it was a pretty easy uh, come from behind victory that I can appreciate. Um, I'd also like to think that, you know, neither player I removed was uh, all that salty since, again, I was upfront. This is a random sliver deck. This is not something I can control what's in the deck, right? So if I get a good combination of slivers, that is great. Uh, but I could also very well brick and get, get slivers that are anti-synergistic with each other. So, um, you know, it, it, I think that definitely reduces some of the salt impact for sure. Um, I think it's probably a little bit more powerful. I would say, you know, if I was being honest, my sliver deck, even if it is random, at its peak, could probably be like an eight or a nine. This was probably like a, you know, five to five to seven uh, power range for the, for these decks. So I think maybe my sliver deck, at least in this iteration, was probably a little bit overpowered. I mean, the the saddle sliver, brute sliver combo plus sliver legion as the commander is definitely not a not a not an easy one to beat. Um, so you know, I think I think. Um, uh, definitely, this would probably be a little bit more higher power level than than I will than I'll, I'll think about in the future. Um, anyway, uh, I went back down to the tournament area where the prize uh, prize wall was to use up the rest of my ticks. Um, actually, I think in hindsight, well, okay, so I initially had wanted to get uh, the um, the uh, collector boosters from All Will Be One, um, you know, to try to get some of the manga planeswalkers, see if I could pull a Junzi Ido, um, Ellis Norn, or whatever. Um, you know, a little bit of a better price as well. Um, but unfortunately, by the time I got there, I I sort of gone before the uh, the I went up to play Commander games to to spend my tickets um, because. You know the the line was massively long, and by the time I got there, unfortunately, um, the uh, all the collector boosters from all B one were sold. So 
anyway, I had 5,100 tickets. Um, I kept, I keep 100 tickets uh, in my binder just, you know, for uh, memorabilia, you know, to, to remember the event by. Um, I spent the remaining 5,000 tickets on, I believe, two Dominaria Remastered Collector Boosters and then three Phyrexia all will be one Draft Boosters. So I had 400 left over, which I ended up give, gifting to a group who was looking to pool their tickets to get something big. Um, so, I mean, yeah. I ended up, I think I ended up pulling the Black Dominus uh, in the in, in the Ecor art style for my um, Phyrexian Alobi One decks uh, packs, which was pretty good. Um, and while I didn't get the collectors pa uh, collectors packs from uh, Alobi One, I did open a, a, a Borderless Force of Will and also a Foil Borderless Worldly Tutor in my collector booster packs from Dominaria Remastered. So uh, pretty good haul, I would say. Uh, definitely a nice card to remember the convention by. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I've actually now opened another. This is my second special force of will I've opened the first one being uh, invocation I opened up in a draft at my LGS one day um, so yeah those are definitely I guess force of wills are, are, are is, is going to be my card to remember uh, Magicon Philadelphia by um, anyway, from there, you know, I made made my way. You know, I stopped by this donut place uh, in Philly called Federal Donuts since I'd promised my wife I would get some from her. Um, you know, I wanted to get a cheesesteak, but unfortunately, the place that I would usually go to in Reading Terminal um, was closed for the day by the time I finished. Um, I Ubered back to the Antrax station. You know, there was a little bit of a delay um, to the train, so I probably could have tried to find another cheesesteak place nearby, but, you know, settled for Wendy's and uh, Jersey Mike's. Um, and, yeah, I, I skipped lunch both days from just playing so much, so... Um, that's definitely something I didn't. I, I probably should do better next time. But yeah, um, after some delays on my train coming in, I made my way back to New York. So yeah, that is my recap of Magicon Philadelphia. You know, overall super enjoyable experience that I definitely don't forget doing, even though I ended up uh, going by myself. Um, I met a lot of cool people, jammed some really great games, and picked up a lot of cards that I really wanted. Um, I do kind of wish you know, I had been able to go all three days, honestly. I, I I just wasn't able to get enough commando games, and there were definitely some decks that went unplayed, unfortunately, um, you know, that for, for the ones I bought. I ended up getting what? I think it was like... Uh, five games total you know so five out of the eight decks ended up getting played um yeah I, I think another day would have been able to do that maybe do my shopping on one day um and all that so it's also easier to carry my stuff around um i also think in the future you know i might skip the pre-scheduled events that take um that take multiple hours and opt for more on-demand events even the mystery booster stuff um just because like you know i definitely want to have that flexibility i think of, of being able to you know play multiple events or you know decide to um um, or, or decide to you know just get some some games in or whatever right locking myself into three to four hours is, is kind of insane for me like I don't know how I would be able to do the photo tour qualifier or the secretly or showdown event um, if I were to do that um, I will say uh, it from on the Saturday when I did my first um, my, my first mystery booster event I did see the Phyrexian all will be one uh, not, not no sorry the the Gavin Verhey unknown event um, featuring those like those those test cards for Phyrexia versus uh, Mirrodin um, that was going on in the same in the same uh, part of the convention hall um you know, and on one hand, I kind of wish I did that because it seemed really cool. On the other hand, I know I would be uh, very um, what's it? What's the word? Very much trying to collect all of the the test boost the test cards uh, from that event, which is definitely not good for me as a collector. So maybe for the better, I didn't do that. But definitely cool to see it online afterwards. Um, but yeah, I th I think you know if I, I think in the future if I were to do a two day event, I might just opt for playing only and skip the vendors. So yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, I the the con can be improved. I think, you know, I I think, you know, the installations, while cool, were a little bit divorced from the play area. So it'd be nice to maybe see some of those installations around the command zone, perhaps, or maybe even see the main stage, you know, from the command zone. It would, or even I think it would been cool. You know, I think having the main stage play separate from the play area, which I get for logistical reasons, why you don't want to be distracting players when with the news of what's going on. But at the same time, I'd like. You know, at, when I go to a Smash Bros. tournament, sure, like, people are playing sets, playing games or whatever at, at setups, um, but they can also still look over if something crazy is happening on the main uh, streaming setup, right? So I think that would have been nice to be able to do. Um, you know, similarly, I think, you know, I didn't really know where the Pro Tour was. Um, I knew it was in the Invention Hall. I knew it was upstairs, but there wasn't really a lot of silence up there. So it would have been nice maybe to, you know, have a little more of a spectator area that was more easily viewable at the very least. Um, also, right, like, even though I mentioned I saw the Gavin event going on, and I actually saw Mark Wozwater playing at an event at the table uh, across from mine at the second uh, Seal Day event. Um, I unfortunately wasn't actually able to meet or, or talk to any of the Magic celebrities who were there. Um, 
again, partly going back to my desire for more flexibility, right? Like I would usually see them when either I was in the middle of a game and I was, you know, busy trying to focus and they were walking away basically. Um, or I saw when they were playing a game and I didn't want to bother them if they were playing a game and I was, you know, on my way to do something else. I didn't want to wait per se, right? So, you know, maybe having an official meet and greet schedule like they have at conventions for celebrities or whatever would be nice um, versus trying to catch them by happenstance, especially, right, since everyone was required to wear a mask, which I don't have a problem with uh, to be to be upfront. But, you know, since, you know, people had masks on, it's like, wait, there were like three different guys who I thought might be risk studies, but I wasn't actually sure, right? Um, I will also say I kind of wish I had gone to go see the art gallery um, across the street from the convention center, and it was really close, but I don't know. There was just so much going on with the with at, at the convention hall itself. I just really, you know, it was it was a shame that I wish I could have seen that like in in the convention hall. Um, so yeah, you know, I I, I I know I know there's a lot of talk on Twitter or whatnot about whether or not the command zone should be a paid addition uh, on top of the entry fee for the convention. You know, I can see the pros and cons of it. You know, I will say I saw a lot of people playing command games outside of the area. Um, I can also see the the reasoning that hey, you know, this is an expensive thing to set up uh, the the convention in general, and also right there was some benefit like if you could only play the on demand events in the command zone, I think that kind of makes up for it. You know, um, giving they're essentially selling you on demand tickets, right? Um, um, through the command zone, basically, um, which you know you could then use to get per product, which is you know obviously expensive. So that that makes sense for me. Um, maybe keeping the command zone where you can do on-demand events as a paid paid thing, maybe. Um, though again, people are also saying, hey, you could pay in the command. I don't I don't know. I'm not an events person, but you know I think that's a that's an interesting conversation to have. But I, I am honestly not mad. I I think I got a lot of value. For me, honestly, the biggest value of of the convention was, like I said playing games with decks from players who I don't normally play against, right? I mean, I know what my friends' decks are, and I love, you know, playing against them, but also it's nice to have some variety and see some some decks that I don't normally get to play up against. So, um, yeah, I think, I think at the very least, I will also say there was not any major shortage of space that I could see. Um, in fact, you know, I think maybe a little bit too much space. Um, you know, I will also say I, I do wish there was, like, a bit more of a uh, organized area I'm like hey if you want to be doing cube this would be like a dedicated area for cube right bring like a byoc bring your own cube um i know ryan Sachs was talking about on twitter you know doing a bunch of cube stuff um i i had wanted to maybe make it out to a cube event but unfortunately again my time was just there was so much going on i didn't really have time to do, do any of these um so yeah, I will say, you know, I probably won't go to another big scale magic event like this um, outside of if it's unless it's immediately in New York or maybe just across the river in New Jersey um, where I can, you know, literally be in my bed every night. I'm probably not going to be traveling for a magic event for at least another year or so. I, I probably, this is probably like a every year and a half to every two years type of thing for me just because of the cost of traveling and spending time away from the from the wife and all. But it's nice to do it every once in a while to see the global nature of, of it. And, um, you know, maybe if I happen to be in a, in a city at when an event is going on, they might do that, um, but not something I would go out for. Um, and you know, and, and especially especially if I can convince my friends to go, and it's not super far, like maybe Toronto or DC or Boston, you know, that might be something I'd be probably willing to travel for. I don't think I, I at this point I don't think traveling to Vegas unless I happen to be in Vegas for something else is uh, in the cards for me. Uh, but yeah, um, again, that was my event recap for Mazicon Philadelphia. Um, again, if you were one of the players who I played this past, last week, uh, who I emailed this episode to um, because you gave me your email and I, and I told you about my combat cast, thanks so much for making, honestly, being the highlight of my weekend of being the best part of in the gathering for Magic the Gathering. Games were super fun. Uh, everyone was super clear with what they wanted and everyone was super respectful. And honestly, what more can you ask for? So I hope we can play again sometime in the future. In any case, uh, this podcast is coming to its resolution. Let me know. Uh, are there any cards? Uh, are, are, if you went to if you went to MagicCon Philadelphia, what was your favorite part of it? Um, what were some games that you got to play? Uh, and if you weren't at the convention, you know what are you, are you hoping to go to one? And if so, what decks would you bring uh, to uh, to play? Um, you can let me know on Twitter at EtherVortexPod or via email at IntoTheEtherVortex at gmail.com. You can find Into the Ether Vortex on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play, and you can leave a review on any of those podcast stores on Podchaser.com. Links to those in the show notes. My architect with all my deck lists are listed under the username Nidzaboy, Boy with an I. The intro and outro music is provided by Kevin MacLeod. His stuff is in competech.fullmusic.io. Editing production by Nidzaboy Media. Next episode, it'll be time to go over the March of the Machines previews and cards I want to add to my decks. And I'm not going to lie, it looks super spicy. I can't wait to get into, build, into building uh, and brewing decks for this one. Um, but until then, may your lands be plentiful, but not too plentiful. Pass the turn. Mm -hmm.